Turn with me to two passages. Like I said, we'll get back into our John study next Sunday. We'll finish John chapter 6. But um, for now, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. John chapter uh, 6 next week. But today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and Romans chapter 12. Matthew chapter 6, Romans chapter 12, two passages that, well one of them is probably even more familiar, but most of you probably heard these passages, but they're good to read today, and again I'm, I'm kind of focused on what God would say to us here in the middle, middle of the year, smack middle of 2021, what does he want us to think about as it relates to these final six months of the year. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I didn't plan on reading verse 34, but I read it in the first service. I'll read it here too. It's good to see it's the final verse in context. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. There's a lot of things we could worry about. For tomorrow will worry about its own troubles or its own things. Sufficient today, sufficient for the day, is its own trouble. But that first passage, seek first the kingdom of God in His righteousness. Turn over to Romans 12, and it's verse 1 and 2 I'm going to read. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech or I implore, Paul's like, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. There it is again. By the what? Mercies of God. God's constantly reminding us about his mercy, isn't he? Now, Paul said it. Moses said it. The mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not just your bodies, your mind, the whole of your being. Holy acceptable to God. We've talked about this word before, acceptable. It really means um, honoring to God. Just laying it down. Which is your reasonable service. And we've talked about this word, reasonable, it actually means logical. It is logical if the one who saved you from eternity and hell, it would be logical to be fully given back to him. Amen? Paul's like, it's, it's, it makes total sense. He saved you for eternity. You live for him for the span of your vapor life on earth. That's kind of a logical thing. He saved you for all eternity. You say, Lord, I'm yours till you return or take me home. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This world can corrupt us fast, but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we have your word to remind us of your mercy, to remind us to seek you first, to remind us to be living sacrifice, to present ourselves acceptably or, or just wholly unto you. And it is, lo- it, is, it is our logical response. It's a reasonable response. It's beyond a reasonable response, Lord. It uh, should be axiomatic that if you have saved us, we would give ourselves back to you. But we don't always do that. Lord, we resist. 
we drag our feet. Uh, we want to still hold on to things in this world, but you've told us to release those things. And I pray that we do that this morning, those online, those here. Lord, I pray that we would leave here with Jesus first in our life. And Lord, lay aside now any distractions from the enemy. Lord, just put all those things outside the four walls that we might hear from you, Jesus. Remove me once again from the equation that all of us are hearing directly from you by your Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have two very familiar passages. And I believe they're more critical now as we have less time in our life than we did when we started this service. We're all closer to meeting Jesus than when you woke up this morning. Every single one of us, whether you're young or not so young. We have less time than we had last year. We have less time than we had at January 1st. We're, we're six months through the year. We have less time to live it out, putting Jesus first in our life. Laying down our lives as living sacrifices. But I believe, because the scripture tells us in so many different ways, I believe we'll see amazing things happen if we put Jesus first. Do you believe that? The world is putting everything else first. We're to put Christ first. You see the title this morning if you're taking notes, Seeking Him First. I'm going to jump right in. I don't even have a lot of intro or anything because I've got a lot to cover in a short amount of time. But I want to cover three things uh, as it relates to us as believers. First is us individually. And we'll look at us collectively because we are a church family. And then we'll last look outside these four walls at those that are not in the family now, but God wants them in the family. Amen? Yes. That's kind of the, that's where we're at. Every day you start your day by yourself, you get ready, and then you go get together with other people, whether it's work or whatever it is you're doing. But I want to look at us individually, this vertical relationship. We are for sure saved alone. God doesn't have any grandchildren. We're saved alone. We don't grow alone. But our surrender is ours alone. No one can surrender to Christ for you. That's a personal decision. In other words, uh, other believers can and do want you and me to diligently seek the Lord, to seek Him first. But it's our personal yielding. Uh, it's we have to seek. We have to surrender. No one else can make that choice. Nobody can make the decision for us. I wish I could sometimes. But it's something we have to do. In Jude 1.20, uh, the writer, uh, who Jude was uh, Jesus' half-brother, he says, Beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Each believer, one by one, submits to the will of God, submits to the kingdom of God, by the Spirit of God. And it's in response to his sacrifice, his gift of salvation, his love, His grace. You know it's a lot of His, right? His. His prompting that we then are to prioritize our lives to abiding in Christ daily rather than visiting Him on Sundays. Daily. Constantly. We talked about that tree limb a few weeks back, abiding the tree. It doesn't come off the tree for periods of time, back on the tree, off the tree, on the tree, off... The tree limb stays there all the time, gets stronger, and you can put more weight on it. It comes abiding. But our ver vertical relationship with God the Father is deepened 
as our hearts, it's in our hearts that we look up. Uh, and we do, we do literally look up. I, one of my favorite verses, Job 35, 5, when I'm outside, I look up at the clouds, they're higher than me. I love that passage because God's higher than me. And I know he's coming in the clouds. I know he ascended up into the clouds. I know he spoke from the clouds. But I'm looking up with my heart more than my physical eyes. And so are you. We're to look up with our hearts. We're to reach up for him. Though he's not far from us, as the scriptures tell us. That we desire him and that we would depend on him. God wants us to depend on him and desire him in an increasing measure. Do you believe that? That God wants you to desire him more as you grow in grace. This is the life of a disciple. Oswald Chambers said, it must be God first, God second, God third, until the life is faced steadily with God and no one else is of any account whatever. Now what does he mean by that? This doesn't mean that you develop such a love for God that you no longer care about people whatever. No, the two great commandments are what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we have a lot of self-love in this society. We even have in our modern times the word selfie. Didn't even exist. Uh, I don't even know. When did selfie come, or when did it become a word? It was, certainly wasn't when I was in high school in the 80s. But now I, I've only taken a handful of selfies. Mostly, I think I've taken like three with me and my wife. I don't, I'm, I'm, not offend, I'm not trying to offend you all if you take a lot of them, but I don't quite get it. How many angles of you do you need? I mean, eventually, you've got a 360 view and a composite that Facebook and Instagram now know every angle of you. How many times? But we love ourselves. But our personal relationship with God the Father... It's getting ourselves with the Lord. And when we spend time face-to-face with God, just with Him, that love for others will then flow outward. We know this because this has happened with Jesus. Jesus, He was in perfect communion with the Father, and it manifested in a love that was willing to die for others. His communion with God didn't make him more self-focused. It made him less self-focused. Kind of a paradox, isn't it? Everything Jesus did flowed from his communion with God. He always spent time with the Father, then went and did miracles, then went and did ministry, then taught. What Oswald Chambers is getting at is that our surrender to God would be so sincere Sincere. We have, we have to have a real desire. Lord, I really do want, and God knows when we're playing games, I do want to be closer and closer to you. But it's sincere and maturing that we not only grow to love him more purely, but that our obedience becomes more consistent. And it has, I have to use the word consistent because none of us are 100% perfectly obedient to God all the time. Amen. Amen. None of us. Not the most awesome person you've ever seen in the pulse, but trust me, they have their moments. But consistently obedient, that's what maturing is becoming, more obedient over time. And all of this is taking place in a world that is growing less obedient to God, more cold, more distant, more bitter, more cynical, more resistant, more godless. And yet we're supposed to become closer, 
seeking him first. More tender, more like Jesus. Remember Romans 12, it, the world wants to conform you, but the Bible says we're conformed to the image of Christ. Everyone's being conformed. It's which direction, amen? Everybody's being conformed. Nobody's in the middle. I, I'm neither conformed this way. I just kind of hang in the middle for all eternity. No, you'll be pulled in one direction or the other. Our personal walk, though, we grow in receiving what we need directly from God the Father. We receive directly from God the Father rather than from people, uh, or rather, I should say, trying to receive from people. Your spouse, for example, cannot give you peace. Don't say anything negative. That, that could cross new issues of peace in your house. I'm not saying that. But your spouse can't give you peace. Only God can give you peace. Your friends are not the source of your joy. Jesus is. It's good to have friends. It's good to have godly friends. But they're not the source of your joy. Those in your life can't give you rest. Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Other people can't give you rest. They can give you time off and you still can't find rest. Only Jesus. You ever, you ever tried to find rest and you... God's like, you've got to turn all the other distractions off and get alone with me. That's where you find rest. As much interaction as I have with people, and I have a lot of interaction with people, as much interaction as you may have. Maybe, maybe you're in healthcare, maybe you're in a different field that you're in interacting with people all the time. But even if you interact with people a lot, big portions of our life, we're all alone with ourself. You ever notice that? You're all alone with yourself, your mind processing your thoughts. How about the word we just read? You, you were thinking through those verses as I was reading them. Maybe what I'm saying at this moment. Maybe you haven't heard a word I said. Your mind is somewhere in another state right now. But you're here, physically or online. Your mind's thinking about what you'll apply, what you won't apply, and so on. When you're driving down the road and you're getting ready in the morning, you're plugging away at work, maybe at your home doing nothing, exercising, even in your devotions, and certainly while you're asleep, all those situations, it's you with you. That's it. Just you and yourself. Me, myself, and I. Well, it's actually you, and it's your thoughts, and God, if the Holy Spirit's in you. Amen? Amen. I mean, the Lord's in there with me. And if you're saved, he's there with you too. If you're born again, the Spirit of God is living inside of you. This is why we're instructed to learn, and this is only possible if Christ lives in you, if Christ lives in you, you can learn to subject, and this is not an easy thing, this is expert level growing in Christ, you learn to subject your thoughts to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5, right there on the screen. Bringing every thought. You mean every thought? I have some thoughts that still wildly take control. You ever, have, you ever been there? Fear. Or anger or frustration, or anxiety, or whatever else. You have these other thoughts that seem to rule the day. And Jesus is saying, seek me first, my mercies, and I will begin to push those things out. Every thought can become captive. We're seeking Christ with our thoughts, and what that does, it drives, the more you think about Christ, you have a hard time just, just going on a sin binge if you're thinking about Jesus. Amen? 
It drives out sin, but it also drives out self. It also drives out worry. That was in verse 34. This is surrendering and being conformed to him in our personal walk. No one can make it for you. You and I, spending that time with the Lord, we are saying, Lord, we're dedicating this time to be alone with you, to be, have communion with you. Now, our mind and our flesh sometimes doesn't feel like praying. You ever been there? Yeah. Yeah, I was there this morning. What are you talking about? I'm there right now. You know, I, sometimes we don't feel like praying. We don't feel like opening the Word of God. We don't feel like studying the Word of God. We don't feel like worshiping. We don't feel like being still. Your feelings will lie a lot. I was talking to one of the guys, a couple of the guys from the first service, they're bigger and buff guys, uh, but um, I was talking to you. So sometimes when you, you, you don't feel like working out, you'll be amazed that sometimes the times you don't feel like, you actually run better or stronger than the time you felt great. It's your body can't even give you the right answer sometimes. You would think that oh, if I don't feel, I, I feel weak, I'm probably going to be weak. And then you get, wow, I'm actually not. Man, like I'm 28 again or something. Now that, the bottom line is our feelings is not what we follow. The more we seek on Jesus, the more we seek Jesus, the more we meditate on his truth. We don't live by our very flawed feelings that drive us to think this way or don't do this or don't surrender this. You may be watching online, maybe here right now, and you may have not ever said this out loud. And Christians, there's a lot of things we know not to say out loud. But guess what? If you've even kind of thought them, God already knows what you've thought. You know, it's like doesn't matter if you verbalize it or not. But our life a lot of times verbalizes. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. But he said, in other words, if their fruit says this, but they say this, Jesus says, I ignore what they say. I look at their fruit. Jesus blows right past, I love you so much. Jesus said, you know, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He, he could see the fruit. A lot of times we can see, if we're willing to look in the mirror of God's Word, where we're really at. And you might not verbalize it this way, but I think it's true of many in the body of Christ. You might, in your heart, be voicing something along the lines of this. Uh, well, I don't really want to live like there is no God, but I also don't want Jesus to take over total control of my entire life and all of my time because I have a really well-balanced life mapped out. And for sure Jesus is in it. Matter of fact, he plays a starring role. He's just not leading my life. I do that so I ensure I have maximum fulfillment. And that's the truth of many in the body of Christ. And all of us have felt that way at some time, probably in the last month, including pastors like myself. And then the Lord says, snap out of it. Right? That's what you, you'll, you'll be thinking that way. You're just not verbalizing. The Holy Spirit's saying, that's exactly what you're doing. Now, how is that any different than the unsaved world? It's not. No different at all from the unsaved world. Jesus is saying to all of us, again, I'm going back to Matthew 6, 33. He's speaking to the apostles. They are just like us. They get pulled away by the tide of the world. They get kind of a little lazy. They don't really feel like being all in with the Lord. And he's saying, seek me first. 
and everything else will be added right. Correct? Yeah. Everything else will be added in you. You don't seek me first, these other things will tear at your soul, even if you're saved. But he's saying, my righteousness, my will, my kingdom, my spirit. Remember, it was all those other things that were from him too. His grace, his mercy. We have six months left in the year. We don't know if the earth has six months or six years. None of us can see the future. But we can see what Jesus is telling us right now. You've got six months. Put him first. Now what about us collectively? That's us individually. If you're taking notes, second point here. First was personally seeking and reaching up. Now I'm going to talk about right here. Right here being this church family, Calvary Chapel, Richmond. This is our right here, the church family that I know God called me here when I took a job transfer from Charlotte in 19, or 2002, yeah, 2002, not knowing that I would be called to the ministry eventually, but this is where God's placed me, and I know he's placed a lot of you. I know certain, many of you were called here specifically. Now you serve along with us, and this, there's, a, there's a here that God wants to do, so I'm calling this one seeking and reaching in. As I said earlier, our surrender is ours alone, but we definitely don't grow alone, nor are we called to go alone. Our personal walk is always, our personal walk is Christ-dependent. Tim's walk is Christ-dependent. My walk is not dependent on my wife, much as... I love her. Her walk is dependent on Christ personally. Mine is dependent on Christ personally. And that has to be true because sometimes people lose a spouse and they still have to go on. Amen? So it has to be dependent on the Lord. Yet our God-designed impact as the family of God in this world is interdependent. Interdependent. The more advanced medicine gets, the more we realize how interdependent our body is. We, we see things under the microscope which they couldn't even see a couple hundred years ago. We understand that now uh, the interdependence of the body. Anything in the body can start to have a negative domino effect. Conversely, we start addressing health in one area. Let's say your heart gets really healthy. Did you know a lot of other organs and parts of the body start to benefit from that? It's interdependent. It's, it's connected. Other areas will eventually benefit from one area getting healthy. If your mind gets healthy, boy, that's, that's a big impact the rest of the body. If you have a knee replacement or something, that it, all of a sudden you're able to exercise. So everything benefits. We all want a healthy, fully functioning body. But I hope you know by now, God desires a healthy, fully functioning church body. He's not just desiring it, he's commanding it. He is demanding it, but he's also graciously bringing it to pass. God, through the authority of his son Jesus and the, by the work of the Spirit, is forming us, all of us, from different states, different countries, different nationalities, different ethnicities, different skin tones. He's making all of us one. This is precisely why Paul uses the analogy of the human body, because our oneness is, is really a of putting together a bunch of things that are not the same. My hair is nothing like my hands, right? If your hands were made of hair, you couldn't grab anything, right? You know, there would be no meat to that, right? 
and yet we're all put together as one. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul makes this point, for as the body is one and has many members, in other words, all the different parts that make up the human body, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So he's saying just like the human body is a bunch of parts that is made up into one functioning, walking to your car later, all in one piece body, so it is with the body of Christ. It's one where he's put us together from different nationalities. And so the, the larger body of Christ is well beyond Calvary Chapel Richmond. That's our, our friends over, over at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills and First Baptist in Dallas and this church over here and Jim Symbol up at Brooklyn Tabernacle and all the body of Christ around the world. We are one body there. But then there's these little smaller bodies within the body, and that's us. Uh, and then you even have smaller bodies within the body. Your family, for example, me and our family of five, we are a smaller body inside of this body, and all of us are bodies inside the body of Christ. So it looks like Jesus is kind of walking through the world in all these different bodies, but yet they're one. And the human body, if you haven't heard this in a while, we're made up of 30 million, I'm sorry, 30 trillion cells, 30 trillion cells with between 206 and 213 bones, uh, depending on the adult, and generally agreed upon 78 organs with the essential control center of the being the brain and the nervous system. The heart and the lungs and the vascular system constantly distributing oxygen to all parts of the body. The whole time we've been in here, your body has been sending oxygen to every other part of the body. Then while our ears and our mouth and our hands and our feet, well, they do the things that we're designed to do, which is kind of live and interact with people. And it all happens in perfect harmony with the unseen parts. Most of you haven't thought about your spleen once today until right now. <laughs> now you have. You forgot you have one. You don't even think about having one. But this is true that all these parts are working together even in the mundane things like tying your shoe or something much more complex like Dr. Rush performing a surgery. You've got to use your hands for both. One we put as ultra-important, one we put it, well, not near as important. But the dexterity needed, even the simplest of tasks, your whole body had to be working together for it to happen. Even a small thing like that. We as the family of God, we mirror the triunity of God. Did you know that? We mirror God's triunity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three, and yet they are one. Yet they have these three distinct positions, yet they operate as one. Amen? And they are one. We mirror that. How do we know that? Well, Jesus said it. He actually prayed it in John 17, 22. That they, they being the body of Christ, that they may be one just as we are one. And they were one before the foundation of the earth. And so God is calling us into a oneness, not just to be one, but to act as one. God could have made Israel one tribe. He didn't. He made them how many? Twelve. Twelve tribes. Could have made them one. And they even had different roles. Levi had a different role than, let's say, Judah. 
different roles within the tribe. Different, they actually had different skills. They had different things that they were really good at. But he made them 12 to work as one and to be a light as one. Though they were 12 individual, they would come together as one. He chose the 12 apostles to be the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20. With, of course, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and the prophets are involved as well. But he takes the apostles, the 12 apostles, takes these 12 men, saves them, Paul ended up be, obviously becoming the one that replaces Judah, but, uh, Judas, but um, they become one house, one tabernacle, one body from 12. And we're called to care for this church body, i.e. one another. You and I, if you're in the body of Christ, you're called to care for the other parts of the body, just like your hand washes your hands wash your hair. Your hair never even asks for it. Your hands just know, because your brain told your hands, time to wash the hair, right? right. The hair says, no, 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 doesn't even say thank you. But anyway, um, <laughs> it can't. But we're called to care for the other parts of the body. Jesus redeemed us and put us together to do this, and here's the word, with consistency. Remember my good friend, Dr. Sam, who, who will be here, in October, I got him booked. He's going to be back with us. Yeah, he's going to be back. And he's like, consistency equals maturity. Consistency equals maturity. But we're to do this consistently, minister to one another with diligence and, here it is, with love. With love. Jesus made this clear in John 13, 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love. Love is not just a thrilling feeling, though it can be. It really can. Thank, aren't you glad that there's times you actually feel love? You know, you know that cliche, I don't know when it came about, feel the love, right? You know, uh, there is a time that you can actually feel the love. There's people that I have felt their love just walking in a room. I, I just can tell. They really love me personally. And you can feel the love of some because it really is almost... Uh, tangible. But a lot of times it's not a thrilling feeling and it's not even something you can necessarily feel. But many times it's an action and oftentimes it's a sacrifice, isn't it? Which isn't always a good feeling. It's a dying feeling sometimes when it's sacrificial. How often does your hand, whether you're right-handed or left-handed, um, how often does your hand do the good work of bringing a fork to your mouth. <laughs> See, we love to eat. We have entire TV shows dedicated to eating now. Right. It used to be just one, now there's like ten. You can, and if that's not enough, you can YouTube any food topic you want and go as deep and wide as you want to go on it. We love food. We love to eat. And so the, the brain and the hand, they all work together to get the job done, to get the fork to our mouths on a regular basis because we love to eat. Now you're really hungry since I mentioned that. But your brain even gets creative to make it happen. You know, like when we were in middle school and you're like, there's got to be a tortilla and some shredded cheese here somewhere. I can, just, I can nuke a, a quesadilla if I can just find two ingredients, right? You know, that we're good to go. Some of you that didn't grow up wealthy... Did anyone here grow up wealthy? Go ahead, tell us. <laughs> who, who are you? We'll be hitting you up for money. No, I'm kidding. Um, but some of you that didn't grow up wealthy, 
or spoiled. I grew up in the 70s and then high school in the 80s. But um, if you were like me in the 70s, it wasn't like today's parents that buy stuff nonstop, including ours, but uh, including me and my wife sometimes. But uh, we bought groceries. It was like two weeks, and it bled down to nothing. And then you'd start back up again on the upside, and it would go back to nothing again. And so uh, when you got near the end of the two-week mark in our house, and we had a big family of a bunch of kids, um, you were looking for white bread or, or just leftover white rice to do something with to make it into dessert. And it, it, was there cinnamon? Was there sugar somewhere? Is there this much milk left in the jar? Is there butter that can be used? Is there anything that can make this into the dessert? Because we like sugar, too, in the 70s, kids. We just didn't have all the stuff y'all have, all the awesome stuff that you guys have today. But the brain, and we would pull it and, and, and make it happen, but, but the brain uh, and the feet and the hands and ultimately the mouth and taste buds, they work together to get creative and actually do it. Not just think about it. We didn't just think about it. We actually put the white bread on the, and we're putting butter and sugar on it. I mean, this is gross stuff, but this is what we did back then. We had phone books and stuff like this. This is a whole different world, kids, you know. <laughs> Yellow pages, you, you know, all different back then. You actually got, as far as music, you got whatever was on. That's what you got, you know. It wasn't like you just, oh, I'll shuffle, you know, none of, the, none of that stuff. But you know how, um, out in the fellowship hall, you'll see on the wall it says this verse from Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. It, it's, but it's not just an individual that God wants to taste and see the Lord. He wants the whole family to taste and see. Because the next part of the passage, we see a plurality. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those that fear him. And I know that can be taken individually, but it, I believe it also is taken collectively here. That God doesn't want anyone in the family to not taste and see that the Lord is good. That he doesn't want anyone to lack in this fellowship, in this body, or in any fellowship that's part of the body of Christ. Going back to my scrounging in the kitchen in the 70s. Now, this is when I was more, I could pull it off myself when I was more accomplished at 8, 9, 10. Uh, but my brother Montel, who's sitting right here on the front row, he was up on the cajon banging away on that thing a little bit ago. Um, we had an older sister. She was nine years older than me. Uh, she went home to be with the Lord at the age of 21. She, she died of cancer. Uh, but she was really, she was nine years older than me. So when I was like four or five, and the best I could come up with was toast with cinnamon and sugar on it. That's the best I could find. She actually had skills beyond me. She could find flour <laughs> and other ingredients and like, you know, um, uh, you know, vanilla extract and things like that. She actually could pull it all together and make other things that were outside of my realm of capability and use the oven. And I didn't, and I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, but she would, um, she would do those things. And uh, she would never make just enough for herself. She always made enough for the rest of us too. Isn't that what God really wants us to do? Um, the more mature you are, the more you, more mature you are in Christ, the more you're called to serve your brothers and sisters. The more you're called to serve your brothers, the more you're called to prepare for others. The more you are. Uh, you're being called. And by the way, this the terminology. I just mentioned my siblings. 
we're called brothers and sisters, right? That's the whole language God uses. And all throughout the Bible, it's in the Old Testament, New Testament, we are called constantly the brethren, brothers and sisters, the family of God. So the older siblings in, do have more responsibility to pour in and invest with that maturity. But this is the language that is described. It's that interconnected, again, that dependent, connected relationship of siblings. Instead of, uh, you know, we're not supposed to be fighting siblings, we're supposed to be ones that are caring for one another. But if you've been saved any length of time, I'm here to tell you, you've been called to the kitchen, so to speak, to put something together for the other saints in the body of Christ. Everyone's been called to the kitchen to to, to get to work on helping to serve our brothers and sisters. Everybody has. And with Jesus' return getting closer and closer, our love and helping one another should be growing. Should be growing. He's, he's looking down from heaven. He's looking right through this ceiling, right through this beautiful ceiling we have, you know. Um, you know. Anyway. But uh, we're thankful for it. It keeps out the rain. But anyway... Um, you know, those of you that are visiting, you probably rode up and you saw our building. You're like, what do they fit? Like eight people in there? You're, you're surprised that we actually can put normal, a decent-sized group in here. But nevertheless, God is looking through this ceiling and looking at us, and He knows the maturity level of each person, and He's saying, "Are you going to serve one another, or not?" Because He's getting closer and closer. His return's getting closer. And let's not forget that in the New Testament, we talked about this. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, that word for worship often, matter of fact, more often in the New Testament means serving, which also means work. Work is not a curse. We're to work under the Lord. We're to serve the Lord. We're to work and serve one another. When my sister made extra, it was not, I never saw her whining and complaining about it. She actually liked to do it. She actually liked to finish it and say, here's some for you, here's some for you, and here's some for you which I really appreciated. Our culture, though, oh, our culture. Our culture has created, though, a laziness, an apathy, a self-love, a self-care, a technology addiction, a lack of work ethic. Let me take one brief pit stop and show you how this is really problematic outside the body of Christ. I mentioned that you know, we have nations around the world right now preparing for world war. Right now. Right now. Most Americans are completely unaware of it because they are enjoying as best they can whatever they're doing, so they have no idea that there really are new Hitlers, new Benito Mussolinis, new emperors of Japan rising in our lifetime right now. The fundamental difference between us and the mid-30s is in the mid-30s, when, uh, when the sleeping giant of America was awakened, Pearl Harbor was hit, and America finally said, we're in. We already had a tremendously high work ethic. People already work, were used to working with greasy arms in jobs till 12-hour you know, days. They didn't stream music. They didn't binge Netflix. They didn't know any of that stuff. So when they said, switch your work from this to building tanks, it happened overnight. And the world has never seen anything like it. We built more ships in a matter of months than the world had ever seen. Everything changed. We don't have the same work ethic today. So now, if all that happened, we actually have a bunch of couch potatoes to rely on. We're not in the same boat. We're in a way worse position 
uh, than we were in the mid-30s, uh, leading up till the, the onset of World War II. So what has that got to do with the church? Well, what the world has created is a bunch of consumers, and now the church has a bunch of consumers. The world, we expect them to follow the course of the world, but Jesus does not expect us to follow the course of the world. He expects us to seek him first and to be a family that the disciples, you're really my disciples. He used the word disciples, love one another. And so all this consumers now in the church has only been increased with the pandemic. It's made even more softy consumers out of the body of Christ. Instead of revival, that's what we generally have. I'm not saying that because I wish it was that way. It's just that that's the way it is. But all of us are responsible for one another. All of us are responsible. Every single one of us, you say, when you get to heaven, a lot of us will hear Jesus say, why didn't you help get those kids taught in the children's ministry? I won't be asking the question. Jesus will be asking the question. So we're all responsible that none of those kids are left out, that they're all well cared for, that everybody does their part to make sure that they are taught and we get these classes back open and full blast. Why? Because Satan's after them. Satan's after them. But Jesus loves them. Amen? It's not just a song. It's actually the way we're informed of how we're to serve them, the same way my sister served me. And my parents didn't even tell her to do that. She just did it. No one told her that. She just kind of like, oh, I can do this. So that God's called us to be those who are investing in one another. There might be some other kitchen work that God wants you doing. I don't know what his call for each person is, but I know it's something. Amen? I know he wants, I know he wants whether you know, we saw the worship team up here. We see people that are out there in the parking lot. God wants all of us in this place. If this is the family God's put you in, that there's some kitchen work that he wants all of us to be doing. But a lot of those things, call, you know, we have to kind of change our priorities. Yes, <laughs> of course you do. Jesus is going to change all of our priorities, amen? He's going to say, this has to go, this has to stay and actually increase. And oh, by the way, this has to go, and this has to stay. And this, uh, you know, you had me at eighth place, I, back to first, and the others shovel the deck, amen? Mm-hmm. Oswald first, he said, God first, God second, God third, right? Maybe, maybe start putting ourselves down around fourth is a good place to start, or even lower. Uh, but he's going to move things around. He always will. And because to serve the Lord and to serve each other takes a commitment of, guess what? Time, which is the only commodity we really have. A commitment of time. But love is always about commitment. We talked a few weeks back about the body of Christ being the field of God, First. Corinthians 3.9, for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field. You are his building. Any work in the field that strengthens the body makes the whole body stronger. Yes, amen. And so I'm saying this, we've got six months left. Let's not be the lazy post-pandemic culture. Let's be the ones that are actually taking the gospel, first ministering to each other, loving each other, but actually strengthening each other that we're able to get these kids trained up, to get these college kids, middle school kids, Ladies, marriages, you name it. Lightening the load of each other. I'm not about workaholic. I mean, all of our leaders know when I think I see them doing too much, I tell them, please take the next couple days. Do not text me. Do not call. Rest. Get the rest you need. But we rest for rising. All of our rest is for rising. 
You know, I'm not trying to put any guilt trip on anyone. I don't need to. God loves cheerful givers. Amen. Loves a cheerful giver. Whether it's your time, your talent, your treasure, uh, whatever you're investing, he wants you to invest it cheerfully. I'm just passing along what I know Jesus is commanding. He wants us to labor joyfully in his vineyard. Joyfully in his vineyard. Seeking him first. Charles Spurgeon said this. I love it. He said, when we take pleasure in the Lord's work, the Lord himself will take pleasure in it. Amen. We start stop doing, oh, i got to do this. Instead of saying, I get to do this, God will give us a joy in doing it. Amen? And it doesn't matter what it is. Making cinnamon toast for your siblings and your younger kids, and you can actually try this at home. You know, This is one you can actually try. But these are the kind of things. Jesus says, if you will say it's a joy to serve me, I'll make it a joy to serve me. But if you say, I, really, I don't really want to do this, I'm just going to resist, I just want to do my own thing, I want to carve out my life, you'll stay here, well, then we will see decay. But if we're put Jesus first, and we then put others first, we'll see an exponential blessing. Last thing to close on, we also have an out there. We have our personal. We have our family here. And then we still have an out there that God wants to bring into the family. Amen? Because the people out there, we used to be the people out there. I got, you guys know, I mean, at my south, I got saved closing down a bar the night before I got saved. And God says, bar today, Altar call tomorrow, life changed evermore, right? So that's the way God works. So the people out there is who we were. And those of you online, you, uh, anywhere in the world, we're to love the body increasingly, no question about it. We're to pour consistently into one another, no doubt about it. But we're, and we know we're nourished individually by the Holy Spirit. That's our, that's our personal walk. And then we have that unity where God takes all of our personal walks and unifies us together why? To bring Jesus to the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's to bring Jesus to a lost and dying world. And it starts every day right where you're at. Right where you're at. Everywhere you go. Uh, looking for, and I, I was telling the first service, be praying tomorrow morning. You're on your way to, Lord, give me opportunities. Give me some softballs to hit. I mean, ones that even I can hit. You know, like, I mean, I can say, wow, that was an easy opportunity to, to be a light, an easy opportunity to invite someone to church, an easy opportunity to say something about Jesus, an easy opportunity to say a scripture, an easy opportunity to encourage somebody. But pray in advance, and God will start opening those doors. You've got to pray for it. You've got to seek it. Remember, I love, I was, I was mowing the law and thinking about seeking first. And I was like, I love, it was like God knocked on my heart and said, did you see the word there? Seek. It doesn't mean you'll pull it off. You're just to seek it. I make the rest happen. Amen. Amen. I'm just to seek it. He does the bringing it all to pass. So seek those things and pray those things. But if we have Christ, we're to be a witness. This is uh, Acts 2.32. This Jesus God has raised up from which we are all witnesses. Not some. All of us are witnesses. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though... God, we're pleading through us. And guess what? He is pleading through us. I'm, he's pleading through me this morning, but he'll be pleading through you wherever you go. We have the signs when you leave the parking lot. You probably have seen them so many times, now you don't even, uh, don't even notice them. They say you're now entering the mission field. And a lot of times, I don't notice them. So don't feel bad if you... No, I've been there too. I forgot that sometimes, oh, there they are. Then it reminds me, and I need lots of reminders because I forget basic truths sometimes. That there's people out there that need Jesus. 
And sometimes, by the way, the mission field is right here. We've had people saved in this service a couple weeks. So sometimes the mission field is literally on the property, but most times it's off the property. Most times we're building up the body, but reaching the lost. But if Jesus is living in you, you have a calling to share him with others. You have a calling. You have a command. Everybody does. Yes, we do pray for revival. And souls are saved because God does the work. But we still have to open our mouths and move our feet and open a Bible. We have to do those things. It's a beautiful thing to God. Romans 10, 15, as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings. This world is full of really bad news. You, you ever watch the news and you're more depressed within five minutes than you thought you could possibly be? It's a lot of bad news out there, and we have the best news. We actually have the only perfect news. We have the, the only eternally good news, and why would we keep it to ourselves? We have this news that now you can be set free from all of the stuff in this world. We have to commit. Commit to praying. Commit to, Lord, help me look for soul. Commit to helping our missionaries again. A lot of missionaries suffered in the pandemic. Praise God, we did not stop giving to any of our missionaries. Matter of fact, we gave a little bit more. And we want to give more. We want to help bless a few more in the next six months. So be generous to help us get the gospel I mean, my heart, I've been communicating with some of the pastors in Cuba. My heart goes out to Haiti and Cuba. I lived in Miami for seven years. I've spent a lot of time in little Haiti and little Havana, and I love the people down there. And that area needs our prayers. It's sometimes hard to get money in right now, especially to Cuba. But, but all of these places here and abroad say, Lord, broaden my vision that I care about these things, that they're not just news stories that are a blip on the radar, that I think about them the way Jesus does. Amen? that you care about the souls. It's well said, we're either all called to go or help somebody else go. And we need to help get the gospel. You're going to get a chance to meet my friend John Samara from Syria. He's, uh, I'm going to talk to him later this week. I hope to have him here by the end of the year, and he's going to talk about what God's doing in the Muslim countries and Middle East and North Africa, and I hope you get a chance to hear directly from him. Some of the stuff we'll have to turn off the live stream so he can talk about things that, you, that can't be streamed. But God's, God's on the move, and he wants us to be with him. Amen? Jesus is already leading the way. We just get in our marching orders with him. I love this quote from Matt Smithhurst. He said, at heart for the nations is not something you have or don't have. It's something you need to get to. Amen. We have to get to it. We have to say, Lord, if you care, I care. If you serve, I serve. If you pray for these things, I pray for these things. But it starts for... Uh, love for souls. And if, and if even those days, there's times when I have no love for souls. How about you? I'm like, I'm done with people. <laughs> That's it. I am done with people. People, I'm the only people that I care about now. I'm done with No. I'm, and then the Lord's like, that only lasts like seconds, but I mean, well, maybe minutes, but um, maybe a couple of, no, anyway, but the Lord will then say, no, you're a people and I have a lot of patience with you. Say, Lord, give me the heart. It's to get to is to get to Jesus. Amen. That's where it goes back to that seek him first. You seek him first, you'll get the heart for the things that will matter to God. Because you adopt his heart. That's what happens. He imparts it. Um, I want to close with a verse that really sums up, um, really sums up just really what God wants us to 
got to be active in our, all of our life. Uh, every bit of our life is faith. You either believe Matthew 6.33, that you're seeking first, or you don't. You either believe that you're going to be a living sacrifice, that's faith, or you don't. But if you believe it, say, Lord, help me. But faith, I, I pray because of faith. We come to God. We believe that he's there. We believe he cares. And we believe he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I don't know what I'm going to have Sam teach on, but he just did, did a recent awesome series on rewards and losing our rewards. And the body of Christ has not heard the whole story. And really, and I've studied it myself, but he did a great job with it. I mean, I, I might have him teach a little synopsis of it. But uh, I really believe we all need to hear Jesus is looking through these walls saying, are you listening to me? It's not me speaking. I'm telling you, these are his words. And so he is going to reward us or he's going to remove some rewards. And I believe he's saying, look, my time is short. Our, our time is short. I'm coming soon. This seeking me first has to happen in the whole body of Christ. And, and it's by faith. We believe that by faith. And then we even say, Lord, you know I'll fail a lot, but I have faith in you to help me. That's where, that's where I'm at. Because I'm like, Lord, if it's up to me, I'll be off the rails in no time. But God is faithful. Amen? Amen. By faith, it's impossible to please him. I want to, uh, last thing is I just want to give you our focus as a church family uh, for the last six months of this year. Number one is never going to change, ever. We're going to, it's about glorifying Jesus, preaching the word, and making disciples. That number one is not going to change. If that changed, we'd have to get rid of our Bibles. Well, number two should never change either because uh, we're going to, we want to keep growing as a church in prayer. We believe prayer is the undergirding of everything. But number three is kind of post-pandemic. We do need to revitalize and rebuild up the whole children's ministry. You, you've heard me talking about it last few weeks, and I believe it's Jesus that yesterday when we were in the, doing the drive through prayer, car drives up, young couple, they needed prayer. You can tell life has been hard on them. In the back seat, two kids, Lord's like, that's what I'm talking about right there. Oh, Jesus speaking to me, like, those kids are going to need to be ministered to if you're going to reach those two people. So we had it vibrant before the pandemic. We will, by God's grace, get it back, and it needs to happen soon so we can meet people and reach people that are like, man, I, I just want to be able to sit there and, and, and not, you color, you do this. And, you know, they want to hear. So that's a big thing. Uh, investing our ministry, I'm taking a couple days off-site with our leadership to make sure that all of our leaders are able to disciple, and then they, the people they disciple will disciple, the people they, the cascade effect that we do have discipleship happening more and more uh, in a one-on-one, a one-to-two, one-to-three um, basis. Uh, we desperately, uh, we believe by faith, we're, we'll be taking a step one way or another to Trevor to go full-time, but if you want to get behind that, uh, hopefully by the end of this week we'll have on the giving page a special place of uh, getting our assistant pastor full-time, and we want to kind of do that uh, for many things that are kind of like kind of held back until that takes place. There, I only have so much bandwidth, and even a lot of our guys and, and, and women here that serve in, in a volunteer capacity do tremendous work. There's only so much that they can do. So uh, number six, uh, we renewing the work of the gospel and outreaches, and we, we did that yesterday. Whether we get back into the juvenile correction center and stuff, that's still things that we're having to look at. But again, we want to get back to the fields out there. We, we want to love on the field here, but we also want to make sure we're loving those. So short-term mission trips. I, I want John to come in. I want Sam. I want you to hear from people that are around the world 
what God is doing. So we kind of get that vision back that, that you know, we, we had to hunker down a little bit with the pandemic some, but I think that God is saying, hey, these things are important. And lastly, we have other gaps, just whatever they are. I, can't, I couldn't list them all and say, if you're interested in knowing what they are, then you can always talk to myself. You can talk to Pastor Trevor. You can talk to Tawan. You can talk to Mark. You can talk to different folks, and we are glad to share with you. So that's a lot, but it all comes down to this. Seek first Jesus, amen, amen. and his righteousness. Seek him first. He'll, make, he'll put everything else into order. That's what gives me a lot of confidence that of all the things that are, we need to do this, that, and the other, Jesus says, just seek me first, and I'll put all the pieces together. He'll bring someone from Iowa that's going to fit the perfect position if we need it, and I'm confident in that. But also, I'm here, he wants me to exhort all of you that he wants you to be blessed and take pleasure in the work that he might take pleasure in you in the work. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team up here to close and worship. Why don't you stand with us?